Thank you for joining us for this week's sermon podcast from the First United Methodist Church of Parable. If you've been around the last few weeks, we're working through this uh, sermon series using the Apostles' Creed as kind of our guide. It's not uncommon during the season of Lent uh, to have a, a heightened focus sort of on teaching or on teaching doctrine even. And you might think about that relative to our confirmands. Our confirmands are, are going through confirmation right now in spring, in the season of Lent, uh, preparing to make their own profession of faith. And so here in Lent, we've been using the sermon time uh, to kind of remember, to celebrate, to recommit our ourselves uh, to some of the key doctrines, the key uh, points of belief in, in Christianity via the Apostles' Creed. And so if you're familiar with the Apostles' Creed, it's on the front of your bulletin. Uh, you can see it there. We're going to share in the inside of the bulletin after we finish the sermon. If you're not familiar, then this will be kind of a, an interesting, a little bit of a teaching sermon uh, for you. And you can maybe kind of connect some of those uh, phrases to the scriptures and, and why they're important and what we believe. So today we're going to read from Matthew and John's Gospel. Uh, and then we will turn our attention to the sermon itself. Hey guys, in the back, my clicker is not working. So you're going have to have to click for me, I guess. All right, can you pull up the scriptures? There we go, very good. Gospel lesson, Matthew 25, uh, beginning in verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory and all the nations will be gathered before him. And he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep at the right hand and the goats at the left. The king will say to those at the right hand, Come you that are blessed by my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. The righteous will answer, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food, thirsty and gave you something to drink? When was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you, a naked and gave you clothing? When was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited with you? And the king will answer, truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. And then he will say to those on his left, you, are, you that are accursed, depart from me into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me naked and you did not give me clothing, sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they will also answer, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry or thirsty, a stranger, naked, sick, or in prison, and we did not care for you? He will answer them, truly, I tell you, just as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. And next from the Gospel of John in chapter 16, beginning in verse 5, this is Jesus speaking to his disciples. But now I am going to him who sent me, yet none of you ask, where are you going? But because I've said these things, sorrow has filled your hearts. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will prove the world wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin, because they do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I'm going to the Father and you will see me no longer. About judgment, because the ruler of this world has been condemned. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own, but he will speak whatever he hears, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, because he will take what is mine and declare it to you. 
This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Holy God, we do give thanks today. We have so much to be grateful for in our lives and in the life of this church. We give thanks for our time together with one another to share in fellowship and conversation, to share in praise, to sharing in the scriptures with our third graders, to sharing the scriptures even here now together. As we prepare to come to your table, our hearts are grateful for your grace and kindness and for your love and your goodness. God, we pray that your Spirit's at work among us, that your Spirit is speaking to us even now through my words, perhaps in spite of my words, that these, your people, would know you all the more fully and would follow you more closely. This, in Christ's name, we pray. Amen. All right, so, uh, Riley, I think you're running the slides back there. I'll just give you, like, a wave, and that'll mean we need to go to the next slide, okay? Uh, or some, some sort of baseball signal, steal second, hit and, hit and run, something like that. All right, so working on the creed. Last week, Reverend Chase was with you. I was on vacation. Reverend Chase introduced to you uh, the section on Jesus. Jesus gets the biggest billing in the creed uh, because, as we've talked about, the Apostles' Creed was organized, was prepared in the early 100s before the scriptures were known and available to disciples like they are now, like we had them this morning. Uh, they needed a way to, uh, to celebrate and to remind and to teach about what it is we believe. And the main thing that they were trying to get across is what it is we believe about Jesus. And so last week, Chase worked with you on Jesus, who he was, his ministry, his life, his death. And then there's a little bit of a what happened when Jesus died, and Chase spent some time with you on that. And then his resurrection. And remember, after his resurrection, he comes back to his disciples and continues in ministry with them. From there, the creed says this, He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the quick and the dead. And I believe in the Holy Spirit. And so today we're going to work on that section. He ascended into heaven to I believe in the Holy Spirit. As I said earlier, these are kind of teaching style sermons, and so I'm going to work fairly quickly uh, trying to connect some dots and points for you. I don't have a lot of stories and illustration. We'll get kind of back to that style of preaching after Easter. But today you might want to take a few notes. You might want to write something down as we, as we uh, break down some of what's going on here in the Apostles' Creed. So first of all, he ascended into heaven. So notice just today as we work through the creed, notice how the verb tenses change, right? He he ascended into heaven. That is a past event, right? That is something that happened in the past. He ascended into heaven. Jesus talks about his ascension uh, himself in his own ministry. Specifically today, we read from John chapter 15. In John's gospel, Jesus prepares his disciples uh, that he will be leaving them. And when he talks about leaving them, he talks about it in sort of a twofold way. The one way that he's leaving them is in his death, right? He's going to be arrested and put to death. But the other way that he is leaving them is in what we come to know as his ascension, right? And so Jesus is put to death, he is resurrected, and then some days after he is ascended. He is ascended into heaven. And that event is recorded in Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 11. The book of Acts, which is largely the story of the disciples and the story of the church, begins with Jesus' ascension, right? This is the last public on-earth event uh, surrounding Jesus, and so if you go read Acts 1, 6-11, it says that he, he brings his disciples together. They ask him, like, is now the time where Israel will be fully back in power? And he says, no, that's not what's going on right now. He said, instead, what's going on is the Holy Spirit is going to come to you, and you will be my witnesses. And then in verse 9, it says this, when he had said all these things, just as they were watching them, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. Right? A cloud took him out of their sight. 
And so that sounds a little bit like the resurrection, but it's, it's not that. It sounds a little bit like the transfiguration, but it's not that. This is the final moment that Jesus is with his disciples and he has ascended, right? And so this is the scripture's way of affirming that Jesus had a real physical body. We've already talked about that a little bit in the creed. And that real physical body has gone on to be at the right hand of the Father, gone on to be in heaven. And it's at his ascension where the story of the New Testament really shifts, right? The disciples, of course, had already been sharing in Jesus' ministry. They'd already been doing some healings and participating in these miracles. But at his ascension, right, it is, it is now totally uh, the story of the disciples. Jesus is gone to heaven, and so now it is his disciples' responsibility. It's his disciples' turn to go and make more disciples and to baptize, right? And so when we talk about Jesus Christ, the scriptures teach that he has ascended, which doesn't mean that he disappeared, doesn't mean that he vanished. It meant that he went on to be into heaven, right? All right, Riley, we can go to the next one. Very good. So when he ascended, where did he go? Now I want you to hear how the verb tenses change here. He ascended into heaven, and depending on whether you're reading this like in old English or in modern English, it says something like this. He ascended into heaven and is now seated, or sitteth, is now seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Notice, notice how the verbs change. He did ascend. He ascended. That's what happened in Acts. And now, right now, he is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. So in this phrase, the creed has shifted, right? So far, it's been a looking back. It's talked about creation. It's talked about Jesus, his life, his ministry, his death, his resurrection, his ascension. Those are all past events. And now, where is Jesus? Jesus is seated at the the right hand of the Father. Now that language, the right hand of the Father, that's language that we're sort of uh, used to. We're kind of familiar with that. You can think about a a king or a president or some sort of leader and they have someone maybe at their right hand or someone at their left hand. It means someone that has some some special power, some, some special privilege, some important responsibility. And this is the scripture's sort of image of Jesus, particularly in Revelation, right? We have all these wild stories, these images, where Jesus is, is, is celebrated, the lamb who was slain, eternally resting at the right hand of the Father, eternally receiving worship and glory. In fact, here in just a minute, when Reverend Chase comes up to bless Holy Communion, part of what he will say in his prayer is this, we remember who Jesus was, and we celebrate now that Jesus is in, in heaven, receiving worship and today we join in that worship right so he was put to death resurrected and ascended he's now seated at the right hand of the father that is where jesus is at right at this very moment right right at this very moment did you like that we're getting better at it no don't do it again that was just an example of what to do all right so 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 notice with me how the chronology is unfolding right he did ascend he ascended He is now seated, and if you continue to read the creed, the next phrase is this, from thence, from being seated, from from then, he will come or he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. Now quick, again, is an old English word that just means living, right? So a real modern version of the creed would just say this, and he will come to judge the living and the dead, right? So notice again how the verbs have changed. He ascended, he's now seated, and he will come to judge so in this one phrase the creed has told us where we stand relative to history and where we stand relative to history is between these events Christ's ascension and Christ coming again and we stand in the middle and the middle is where Christ is seated at the right hand of the father
So here the creed has now begun to look not only toward the past and toward the present, but now to look toward the future. He will come again to judge the quick and the dead. Of course, we are kind of familiar with this image, uh, kind of middle America, Bible Belt America. There's been a sort of uh, fascination, right, with the return of Jesus, the second coming, often when reading Revelation, right? Now, Revelation is a complicated book, and maybe we'll do a whole sermon series on that one day. But, but the main theme of Revelation is that Christ will come again in, in final victory and will make the world full of, of peace and, and justice, right? And so that's what the creed says as well. He will come again. Now, Christ coming again and having final victory, for the most part, that's something we would celebrate. The part that maybe gives us a little bit of pause is that second part. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. To judge. Now, if there's any phrase in the creed that we're just a little bit squeamish about, it's probably that one. Because who likes the idea of being judged, particularly being judged by God and God's holiness? So just a few things to remember, right? The same one who's coming again to judge us is the same one who lived among us as one of us, right? That's what Chase talked, to you, talked with you about last week, right? Jesus came, lived among us, walked among us, ate among us, breathed among us, right? So this isn't a judge who's unfamiliar with our circumstances or our way of being. The second thing to remember is that this judge, Jesus Christ, is someone who is uniquely committed to us. This judge, Jesus Christ, is the same one who died on the cross for us. Like this is about the most generous and loving judge you can imagine because you're being judged by the same one who gave up his life for you. This is a judge that we can know and we can trust. This isn't like going to the the principal's office and and not knowing what sort of mood the principal's going to be in that way, right? Or going to to traffic court and dealing with a judge and you don't know what they're going to do. This is a judge we know. This is Jesus Christ, full of grace and truth, who died for us. You shouldn't be anxious about this judge. And further, this is a judge who has already given us the answers to the test, right? We don't need to wonder, like, how we're going to be judged or what we're going to be judged on. It says in a lot of places in the Bible, but certainly today in Matthew 25, as we read, Jesus himself says so clearly, one day I will stand in judgment, and here's how I will judge. Those of you who took care of the poor and the naked and the hungry and the imprisoned and the sick, those are the ones who love me. And those of you who didn't take care of the poor and naked and hungry and imprisoned and the sick, those are the ones who don't love me. And Jesus says, that's how I'll judge, right? And those will be the sheep and those will be the goats. It's not a mystery how Jesus will judge us. You can go to the next slide. When we think about Jesus judging us, remind yourselves that this is Jesus who is full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. Grace, of course, means compassion and forgiveness and understanding. But truth also means truth. That This is the Jesus who understands the world and who understands us and our lives and who we are and what we've done. Isaac the Syrian was a, was a great early church teacher, uh, and he taught kind of in a, a crafty way, a poetic way. He taught that heaven and hell are actually the same place. Heaven and hell are actually the same place because what he said in the afterlife and in the judgment is when we will be fully exposed to God's light and love and energy, right? And when we're fully exposed to God's light and love, for some people that's heaven. To finally be face-to-face with God, to be cleansed, to be judged, to be purified, this is what our hearts are longing for. For some people to be fully in the presence of God's light and love is, is hell, 
to be fully known and to be fully judged and to see ourselves for who we truly are. And so Isaac the Syrian and others have kind of said, this parable, this teaching by Jesus in Matthew 25, it's not that some people are sheep and that some people are goats. It's that all of us have a little sheepiness and a little goatiness inside of us, right? That all of us have the capacity to be sheep, but we also have the capacity to be goats. And at the judgment, what Jesus is going to do is to, is to separate that goatiness within us. You didn't know you were going to learn that word today, did you? Goatiness, right? Jesus is going to separate that goatiness within us and remove it from us. And so will judgment be a little bit painful? Perhaps, perhaps. But Jesus' judgment is the best thing that will ever happen to us. It's the best thing that will ever happen to us. Because all of the sin and anger and violence within us will finally be taken away, fully away. So to stand in judgment means to be purified and to be sanctified, to be made holy. So when we say that part of the creed, that he will come to judge the living and the dead, we shouldn't say it like, oh, he's coming to judge the living and the dead. We say, he's going to come and judge the living and the dead. Are you with me? We will finally be fully known, fully forgiven, and fully loved. All right, you can go to the next part. The last part of the creed, and we'll just kind of touch on it today, the last part of the creed shifts from Jesus' talk, right? Jesus who was put to death and resurrected and ascended. Jesus who now sits at the right hand of the Father. Jesus who will come again, right? That's the Jesus part. And then the last part of the creed begins talking about the Holy Spirit. So notice that if you look at the creed, if you look at the headings, if you kind of separate it out in paragraph form, it begins with God the Father. It spends most of the middle section on God the Son. And then we get the last section on the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's ministry in this world. Now, a lot to say about the Holy Spirit. We're just going to hit on a few, a few bullet points here this morning. The first thing you should be re- remembering and be reminded about is that when we talk about the Holy Spirit, we're talking about across the New Testament and the Old Testament, we're talking about this word for breath or wind. Breath or wind. In fact, when we, when we use the word pneumatic, like a pneumatic air compressor, pneumatic tools, pneuma, pneumatic, pneuma, that's the Greek word for air and wind. That's the Greek word that's used for the Holy Spirit. Right? And if you go back to the Old Testament, if you go back to the Hebrew, it's a ruach, ruach, which is a similar word just in Hebrew. And so the scripture, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, has this vision of God's presence, like the wind, like God's breath, just being poured out among us. In fact, that's how the story of creation begins. That God breathes on the waters and brings forth life that is creation. God uh, builds Adam out of the dirt. Adam just means dirt. God builds a little dirt figure, right? And then what does God do with it? God breathes God's breath into it. And so we take those Old Testament images of spirit. We take those New Testament images of spirit. Jesus today in John 15 told his disciples The spirit of truth will come. The advocate will come. So Jesus is ascended and the spirit comes. And we read things like about the spirit bringing power, the spirit convicting us of our sin, the spirit being our comforter or our encourager. We read about the story of Pentecost where the spirit brings together all these random people, but by the power of the spirit, they're gathered in God's good community. And so when we're talking about the creed, I want you to sort of notice with me the way in which it's It's functioning sort of as a historical teaching document. God the Father, God the Jesus. What happened to Jesus? How did that happen? What does that mean? But now, this week and next Sunday especially, 
the onus begins to be a little bit more upon the followers, us. Because Jesus has ascended, because Jesus will come again to judge, because the Holy Spirit has been given to us, the creed sort of ends by putting the, the question to us. So what, for, what sort of person does that make us, right? What does it mean to worship this God who was this way and Jesus did these things and now the Holy Spirit is here among you? That's a little bit of what we're dealing with today and that's a whole lot of what we're going to deal with next week. Jesus has ascended. He will come again to judge. The Holy Spirit is among us. So what? What does that mean for you and I? In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening. You can find out more about First United Methodist Church by going to our website at www.fumcparacle.org. May God bless you this week.